Welcome to the Evolutionary Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Castles, PhD. When we get pregnant and are expecting our first child, most people don't see this as a time to worry that their mental health is going to suddenly go downhill. We're supposed to be happy or even thrilled about this new stage in our lives. But for many families, pregnancy is the beginning of what can be some serious mental health struggles. Perinatal depression, anxiety, and more are all common occurrences, yet ones we don't really talk about in our society. We don't warn families, and many will struggle without support or even awareness of what is going on. This week I spoke to clinical psychologist and perinatal mental health specialist, Dr. Annie Rohr, about her own journey through perinatal mental health struggles and this issue more broadly. Whether you've struggled or not, all of us need to be aware of what to look for and how to help. I am so pleased to have with me today, Dr. Annie Rohr. She's a licensed clinical psychologist and licensed marriage and family therapist in Honolulu, where she was born and raised. Professionally, she's worked with individuals, families, couples, and children on a variety of issues, including perinatal mental health. She strives to support and assist her clients to discover their strengths and move towards their desired change. She's written two books, A Promise, A Vow of a Love to Baby and A Promise of Hope to Mom, and Finding the Warm and Fuzzies. She also spends her time trying to create ways or build programs to help people feel a sense of purpose and happiness. Thank you so much for being here, Annie. Oh, it's my honor to be on your show, along with all the amazing people that you've had on. Thank you so much. Uh, Well, thank you for what you do. I mean, I always am fascinated by people in the clinical field who work in the family realm, because it is such a complicated realm. And there are just so many layers. It's, you know, you take one person in therapy, and that's one thing. But when you get into the family dynamic, I mean, there's children, there's the couple relationship, there's just so much going on there, that I... It's incredible. So we're going to talk today about postnatal depression, postnatal anxiety. We've got some stories there for you. But how, before we even get there, how did you get into the mental health field more generally? And then also, how did you get more specifically into this area of pre and postnatal mental health? Okay, so I sort of fell into mental health and being a psychologist. I wanted to be an OB gynecologist and um, my background and all my early degrees are with biology, (laughs) but things happen the way they happen. And I ended up getting a master's in marriage and family therapy. And I thought, oh, this is okay. I'll just keep going. And then it sort of just happened that way. Um, So I started with marriage and family therapy and I kept thinking, I need to do more. I need to know more. So then when I went on for my doctorate. Um, so that's kind of how it started. I did really well with couples and women um, and family. Families were my forte. You get to really know someone when you know the family. When you're talking to an individual, you don't really get to know them. But when you talk to them and their mom and their sister, you really get to know who they are. Uh, so my <laughs> initial yeah, my initial training was, was there. Um, and then my my uh, basically my dissertation topic was parent child therapy so it was all about too loud okay my uh, little two-year-old is joining us on this call as well (laughs) Um, but my initial work was attachment and it was uh, child and family therapy and so because I'm working with the attachment between mom and babies that's how I started seeing more and more Um, moms or people who potentially had postpartum. And at the time, it was more like postpartum depression. That's what people were always talking about. And things have changed a little since then. 
so that's kind of how it started. Um, as far as actually getting into the perinatal mental health or postnatal mental health, it happened after I had my baby and I was terribly humbled with um, postpartum anxiety. And that's when I started really getting into this and understanding what happened. And that's, yeah, that's a story I want to get to because I found that one of the most fascinating things about your journey because, you know, we'll talk about postpartum depression and anxiety more generally because I think it's such an important topic and to hear it from someone who's worked with families, you know, what to look for, all that kind of stuff is just so important and needed in, in today's space, especially with COVID, I think. Has that, you know, before we get onto that, has that actually shifted things for you? Have you noticed we've all talked about the potential issues of COVID, is there more depression? Is there more anxiety amongst this cohort of new parents or is perhaps some of the burden lessening for them? You know, it's both, honestly. First off, I'd say it's more because you're losing the support of things that you would have had before. I mean, child, lots of childcare disappeared, seeing grand, grandparents in the same way disappeared, seeing friends in the same way disappeared. So we saw a lot more depression on the rise and a lot more isolation in this group. Now, interestingly, on the flip side, my anxiety people, including myself, did fairly well because the world gave them an excuse to not come out and not have visitors and not let people see. Um, so you're actually seeing the anxiety people get really anxious now, including myself, as the world opens up. And now people want to visit and people want to come over and all the things they were worried about is happening. Does that make sense? It totally does. And I hadn't even thought about that distinction there between the two as to what's driving each. is, And yet it makes complete sense. The lack of support would increase depression when you're, you know, feeling isolated and not having someone there. But of course, on the flip side, that anxious piece, how much better is it to be comfortably at home and not having to face some of the stressors that are out there? So yeah, it may, and I think it also highlights something that, you know, we can talk about, but although there's always, I know in the literature, a large link between depression and anxiety, they are distinct. And especially in the postnatal period, you know, being able to identify which is what I think is crucially important. Yes. And I think generally speaking, people talk when you hear about postpartum, everybody says postpartum depression. And what's important to distinguish is, I mean, we should really be saying, I say postpartum mental health, but we should really be saying perinatal mental health because a lot of these things show up in pregnancy or during pregnancy. And then it's beyond postpartum depression now. It's postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, postpartum trauma, postpartum OCD, postpartum psychosis, postpartum bipolar. So things have shifted significantly, whereas everybody was just roped under this term of postpartum depression, you know, where they oh, they, they don't feel close to their child or they feel depressed, but there's so much more. Um, and look how many people we might not be capturing because people aren't aware of what, what happens. That is, yeah, a, a very hugely important. I'm kind of pondering all of that because it's true. I try to think back to even 10 years ago or 11 years ago now when my daughter was born and really we did screenings for postpartum depression. Yeah. And that was pretty much it. That was the screen and you either met that criteria or you were flagged as being fine. Yes. So, and that, that's pretty much how it is. I mean, even still now, and even when I was working with, here you go, sweetie. Even, even when I was working with um, 
postpartum mom before I had this experience myself, I was the same. I was looking for specific depression symptoms. I was looking for irritability. I was looking for a lack of interest in the baby. This anxiety piece that I experienced was so eye-opening because when I had it and when I was experiencing it, I kept asking myself, what in, you know, what is happening to me? This doesn't fit anything. And I kept looking it up. Like, have I lost my mind? Have I lost my skill? I kept looking at postpartum depression over and over again. Like, what am I missing? And then I started looking at postpartum mental health and then everything just opened up. So thinking like I'm a provider who actually was trained in child attachment and working with, with children and babies and moms, and I was lacking. So think about that when you're seeking support, you know, who you want to find. And that's something we're going to have to get to because that's so important. But we, we've kind of been touching on this a little bit. So I think it's time we need to hear your story because okay. it is fascinating. Because as you just pointed out, you know, you are the person that was treating people with postpartum depression. They had postpartum mental health issues. That was your job. And I think so many of us feel that you know, you of all people would have had it down. You would have had everything that you needed to not fall prey to postpartum mental health issues. And yet that's exactly what happened. So yeah. can you tell us kind of, I mean, in as much detail as you're willing to share what exactly happened here and how you got to, as you just said, that knowledge of what was going on and then being able to come out the other side? Um, it's a, it's a interesting story to me anyway, but when you hear other people's stories, everybody's got their own journey. So I have to remind myself that. So basically how it, I guess how it started knowing what I know now, um, I had a miscarriage a year before I, I conceived with my daughter now who we keep hearing in the background eating chips, but <laughs> we be basically, we had a miscarriage and that was really, really hard. And I'm bringing that up because that's a risk factor that I want people to pay attention to when they're listening. Um, but so that was something that happened to us. So that might have been what started this whole thing. Something happens when you have a miscarriage. Um, this idea that something so precious could go away. This idea that hope, something so tiny, a little hope could die. Um, and that's what started this whole thing. So when I got pregnant again, and you know, women have multiple miscarriages too. But um, when I started to work on conceiving again, um, just this anxiety started like is it gonna hold should i even worry should i even tell people i didn't tell anyone i was pregnant till i was 30 weeks because i thought well i don't know you know what i mean and thinking about how my clients must have perceived the way i was changing <laughs> um but i yes i dressed in very very baggy clothes and but i you know this was my own level of anxiety so it started there um but here's the thing i am not a stranger to babies i again i worked with moms and babies. I was sort of the, the, the guru who got brought in when, you know, my sister didn't know what to do if her kid was having trouble or if a client was having trouble with sleep or whatever it have you. I, I would come in and help and I knew what to do. I used to be a nanny. So when I had my own baby, um, that feeling, I can't explain it any other way. There's a feeling that I see in mothers, I see in clients, I see in my friends when they have a baby that things will work out and things will be okay. I didn't have it. Like it was gone and you know, she was born and everything was sort of okay for a little while. I understood shock and I understood baby blues and I understood depression. Um, you know, that, that little window of grieving who you were, but generally I just felt like something was wrong. I felt like I was just so nervous and you know, I felt so anxious. I didn't quite feel right. I didn't want people touching my baby. I kept thinking, 
she's, I went home and everything was kind of okay, like I said. And then, then I started thinking like about, I don't want people to touch her because they might have germs. I don't want to get her to get sick. Um, and it started slow. Like, I don't want something to happen to her. I don't want to lose her. Just because she's here, I could still lose her. Um, she had jaundice. Uh, and we were one of the unlucky people that had to keep going back to the hospital to get blood tests for her jaundice. Um, that didn't help the situation. <laughs> Seeing her, you know, with the blood tests. And I know this is minor compared to so many things other women um, experience. But in my mind, it was like I could lose her. And that started a you know, a slow ripple effect to, to bigger things. Um, she, I did have trouble breastfeeding. She also had some allergies and stomach issues. So she would, she would poop blood every now and again. So I'm bringing this all up because I want women who are, are out there who had that issue to know they're not alone. Cause I felt so alone. Nobody understood what I was going through. So what happens is I was breastfeeding. I'm having breastfeeding tr trouble. And then she's, you know, pooping blood. So then all of a sudden, I have to change everything I'm eating and pay attention to everything I'm doing and change my diet. So all of these factors, right, started compounding into this, I am not able to figure out how to take care of this child. I don't know what to do. Now, I'm bringing this up because with depression, there's this lack of interest in the baby. For me, it was an over-interest in the baby. I want you to consider this idea of that protective mama bear. It was so heightened, that feeling that feeling of being protective. I would bubbled her up and put her in a bubble if I could. And um, I started isolating from people. I started people. The reason why I didn't want people to visit is because I didn't want them to get her sick. And it wasn't because I didn't trust the immune system. It was because I started not trusting that I could handle it if she was sick. Um, I started not knowing if I could take care of her in the way she needed. So I needed everything to be very copacetic and not mess anything up because I didn't know if I could handle it. Now, this was the most humbling experience you can imagine for someone who knew how to deal with babies. I could fix a, you know, a marriage that's about to end. I could, you know, tell people what to do. And here I was in my own realm with this little child. And I felt like I was completely clueless and unaware of what to do. It was, it was very, very painful. Um, so the anxiety started. And then, you know, as a parent, you know how it goes. It doesn't stop. It was like, okay, now, and then there was vaccines. Do I vaccinate her? What if it hurts her? What if it hurts? You know, and so it was all these what ifs. So interestingly, I have a friend of mine who, who actually had postpartum OCD. And she was really interesting because she had gloves and she would wear gloves all the time. So I kept thinking, I'm not like her. <laughs> she can put her gloves on and she can take her baby anywhere. I literally couldn't go anywhere. Um we would go on these short walks around the neighborhood and that was pretty much all I felt safe with. Um, she also never took a bottle. So I didn't feel comfortable leaving her because I didn't feel like she was going to get fed and then she would cry. So I want, I want to express this in, in the biggest way. Crying annoys women. You know, it, 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 it kind of gets our senses, especially moms. It, it pulls us in a certain way. It pulls our heart. Genetic, evolutionarily speaking, we're supposed to respond to the baby. For someone like me with postpartum anxiety, the crying made me feel like my head was going to explode. I wanted to bang my head against the wall. I wanted to tear my eyes out when she cried. So it became this, I had to do everything to make it so everything was copacetic all the time. So I didn't want to visit her. I didn't want an interruption. If I took her in the car, oh, she and this dear, sweet little girl didn't like the car seat, didn't like the carrier. You know what I mean? <laughs> didn't take the bottle. So it wasn't, you know, and, and all the people around me didn't breastfeed, had a kid who took a bottle, sleep trained, and I was this, this isolated mom. 
you know, I didn't have anybody. Um, so. And let me ask just, sorry to interrupt, but what about your partner at this time? Was there an understanding or a, was there a, a seeing something going yeah. on? So he, he was, my, my partner is a loving, loving man. I'm very, very lucky. He quite frankly, probably, probably, and we'll get into dads, probably had a little postpartum himself. He and I were as close as close could be. We were extremely content um, prior to having a baby. And I, I almost hesitated to try having children because I liked so much how we were. And I kept saying, we're going to be different. We're going to be different. So um, for him, I think it was hard for him. It was hard for my mom and my, my husband in particular, because I was sort of the fixer and the person who had answers and they're watching me fall apart. You know what I mean? I get very, very thin because I, I had to start changing my diet because I was worried about her poop and I stopped eating every allergen and you know what I mean? And tried to clean up all these things, but they're watching me sort of look so strange and do all these things. And my husband was like, what can I do? I don't know how to help you. Do you know what to do? And my mom would say, what can I do? Can I come over? No, 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 no. Don't come over. You know what I mean? If you come over here. And then if there was even a comment that someone made about, are you still breastfeeding? Are you still, I mean, it would just trigger me. And then I would be even more upset. So that's kind of how my partner was. He was really trying to help. He was doing his best, but he was sort of not sure what to do. And I think he became anxious himself. He became like, oh, I don't want her to cry either. You know, we better not give her a bottle. I can't, I don't want her to upset you. So, you know, they sort of, in a weird way, um, tried to help me by by doing everything I wanted. In a lot of ways, looking back on it, I think it might have been nicer if they pushed um, a little, or at least had some confidence and said, don't worry about it, just go, or we'll work it out. But there was this we don't want to upset her because I was in this place of being the one who knew. <laughs> um, which brings me to an interesting point is um, quickly before I say it, because people along the way get to know you, right? Um, and the OB-GYN is the last person you see before before all this starts. But my OB-GYN and I, I've been seeing him since I was 16. And I told him on my postpartum visit, which the last time I saw him, he retired. Um, he, which means a lot too, cause then I'm lost after that. But he, he said, you okay. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not. And he said, what's going on? And I explained, I said, you know, I, it's not depression. And I explained, you know, I rattled off what that was. I'm not feeling any of this. I think it's some kind of anxiety thing. And he said, well, you know, the best you're a psychologist. So you tell me what you need, my dear, and I'll get it for you. And he said, if you need meds, you know, it takes a few weeks to work. And I said, yes. And he goes, you know, all that. I don't need to worry about you. And I said, okay, thanks. And that's the general sense that I got from every friend. That is yeah. so hard. And I know like it is, we do have that view that of course, I mean, like you said, you were the one, you are still the one that people go to <laughs> for their, their issues here. And so, yeah, that whole idea of no, we're just going to back off and you've got this. We don't need to, to worry about you. That is so I mean, it's funny. I first want to go back. There was so much that you said. I know we still haven't even got to the end of the story here, but you mentioned the the miscarriage early in, uh, well, prior to getting pregnant with your daughter. And it was, I just will share that I too miscarried before my first. And I do, thank you. And I know that anxiety during pregnancy, I remember being every day at the beginning when I didn't have morning sickness, it would come and go. But if suddenly I didn't feel morning sickness, I was a wreck. 
I was, I didn't know what was going on because that was actually the first sign I had of the miscarriage at the beginning was I'd had a ton of morning sickness and then it faded and silly me thought, you know, I was nearing the end of the first, like first trimester. So of course this is normal at, you know, 12 weeks, that's okay. And, uh, only it wasn't. Um, so it was really just that anxiety spiked. And I remember after, although I, I didn't have all of what you said, I had, the sense at times I was very invested and I don't know if this was anxiety or something else, but I felt like the moment anything went wrong, I did feel like I was falling to be like, I can't do this. I'm, I'm hopeless at this. Like, you know, I remember one time soap got into my daughter's eyes for a little bit, like we got it out. She was fine. And I sat there bawling and hating myself because I'm like, I don't, deserve this little child who is here and so perfect. And the funny thing is, I actually had been referred ahead of time just because of a a family history of postnatal depression and everything to our mental health unit. And again, they screened for depression. And I had two appointments that were, you know, in some ways comforting by addressing some of the intrusive thoughts that I'd had, but, um, there was no screening for anything other than that. And yeah, that and was about how good we look, right? I mean, anxious moms look amazing. I looked extremely responsive to a doctor. So, you know, even her pediatrician was like, you seem to be doing well. <laughs> and you know what I right. mean? And little does he know, right? I'm like, Oh, it's that feeling. You said that feeling of when something goes wrong, and you said, even though she was okay. And that's that feeling that, that, that it was so painful as oh. I couldn't understand. Oh, you don't want this one, honey? This feeling like things will not be okay. Things will not be okay. And people always say stuff like, oh, she'll survive. And that was very painful for me for people to say. It, yes. And I think it does. Like the fact that you brought up that miscarriage, it does hark back to, but sometimes it's not okay. Right. You go back and once you've experienced that time when it's not okay, it's very easy for your brain to go back to that idea of it's not okay. That's what's happening. So sorry, I was just saying that. So we've got now everyone has ignored you. You are still the person (laughs) who is supposed to know. So how on earth do you even come out of this? Um, It was really hard for me. I because, you know, a researcher at heart. I kept researching and looking and doing things, you know, like what, what's wrong with me? I should know what to do. And that made it even worse. I mean, so humbling. So um, I started just Googling and looking and, and then it became so important to me to talk to someone else who had experienced what I experienced. I started searching through chat rooms and social media and I'm not a social media person at all. So that meant a lot to me um, to, to even push me to do that. And then I came upon um, oh, there are perinatal mental health providers specifically who are trained. So I found one. Well, I found two or three. And the thing is to have a therapist when you are a therapist is really hard. So <laughs> it took me a while to find a good fit. Um, there's a lot of things that therapists say we're not. And I just want to put it out there for any listener. We are people and we're not perfect. <laughs> and sometimes we do or say the wrong thing. Um, we don't know, everybody thinks we're the be all end all, but we're just human beings trying to help along the way. And I met a few human beings trying to help along the way who triggered me in major ways. So I <laughs> moved on to another therapist. Um, what was unique was I couldn't take her out because I was afraid she'd get sick. I was afraid. So I had to find someone who would come to me and I did. 
Um, so I found someone who came to me um, and there, there are some providers who will, um, especially perinatal mental health providers who will. So that I was lucky. I found this lovely lady who had experienced postpartum herself. You will find that most, not all, but most women who, or, you know, who get trained in perinatal mental health um, have had postpartum issues themselves. Um, and they're all very intelligent women. So that's very interesting to me, but the, you know, anybody can have this, but nonetheless, um, I found her, she came and she started saying things to me that I didn't realize. Like, if you don't like your doctor, change your doctor. And I was like, I can. And she was like, yeah, you know, stuff that made me frozen. And she's like, if your kid won't take the bottle, are you planning on staying home a little longer? And I was like, well, I wanted to go back to work. And she's like, you might not be ready. And it was like, you're right. I might not be ready. <laughs> so it was just like, she's like, if you're going to stay home and you're not quite ready and you have a practice that could go potentially, maybe that's what you should do. So I went from being someone who saw 40 to 60 clients a week um, with a full plan to return to work in my office um, when, when my child was maybe four months, five months, to someone at six months deciding I'm not returning um, for a long time. And then I told people, okay, I'll return in a year. And then COVID happened. So it was very interesting. And to be to be shifted from this person who did all this work and help to just seeing clients who didn't mind a child in the background. Um, and I still do. I see, you know, one, two, three clients every day by phone, telehealth, and uh, it's, it's working. So that's what happened. This huge shift happened. Now, you know, again, to, to bring it all together, then I had to grieve who I used to be. <laughs> so then the, the depression symptoms started kind of floating in. And that's what we don't teach women is we go, we leave the hospital and we think we're going to bring home this brand new person and we prepare for this brand new baby. We nest, we do all these things, but we do not prepare for who we become when we leave. We are the new person coming home. And so is, so is the dad. We become parents. And you know, this realization that I was this new person, I was this, you know, totally different person was hard for both me and my husband. I think he missed me. He missed the relationship we had, the way we connected. I missed him. Um, I remember taking Isla, my daughter, on walks. She, she of course, didn't take the carrier or the stroller. So I'm carrying this little baby all around. And I remember looking at the water and thinking, I have to let my old self go. And I cried and I just, you know, did the little visual imagery of me just floating along, you know, confident me. <laughs> and then I just, this image came to me and I thought, it's okay. I'm, I'm in a cocoon and I have just not emerged as a mom yet. And some women take a little longer. That and that's what such, happened. That's such a beautiful image. I love that of being in a cocoon. I've never... I don't think I've heard that analogy before. And yet it, yeah. that's what it is. It's a metamorphosis from something to something else. Literally, and right? In our brain. Yeah. And what changes. Yeah. Exactly. That is, well, that is, I mean, I'm so glad you made it through the other side there because okay. now we get to benefit from your yes. wisdom. And well, we have some your struggles. Yes, we have some struggles. So I will, I will, let me, let me end this nicely. So, so people can have some hope and honestly, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind. But the honest truth is I still struggle. And I want people to know that because even yeah. even the therapist that I saw who, you know, I think her child was like, you know, eight or older, even I don't even know. And another therapist I had help with their child, they still got triggered. So it's something that 
we carry with us and we work on it. And I still work on it. Um, but I built a team. I started doing social media. And then here's my social media warning, because I don't want to forget this because it's very important. I was so isolated and all I wanted was for someone to understand me. You know, I just wanted one person out there to understand me. So I started posting on these apps, you know, what to expect or peanut app or whatever, trying to find a friend. And the first time I posted, I explained, you know, I hadn't ever been away from my, from my child um, because I'm so afraid of leaving her with someone else. And it's a part of my anxiety. And I got so many mean comments, so many, you're damaging her. You need self care. You can't do that. That's crazy. So I deleted my post <laughs> and and even to this day, you know, again, I struggle. I very rarely leave her. It's her and I a lot. My husband um, works a lot. And she is my little co-therapist at this point. She does therapy with me on the phone with everyone. But I barely leave her. And I still haven't met someone like me. You know, there's all these women who, when most people who have anxiety, believe it or not, they want to go away from the baby, away from the anxiety. Here, take it, you know, let my mom watch the baby. I need a minute to myself. I was the opposite. I needed to make sure she was okay at all times. So just, just something to think about um, with social media. You, you have to be careful because there's, there's some opinionated ladies on there. <laughs> it's right. I know. It's, uh, it's crazy. And, you know, it's funny that you – I'm glad you mentioned the still struggling because I'll say I still jump to worries when something's yeah. gone wrong. I mean, if my family's not home, you know, at the time I'm expecting them home, if they've gone out somewhere to the store or grandma's or whatnot, and it's 15 minutes, my heart's racing. I'm checking the clock. I'm looking out. I'm doing everything not to call and, you know, be that person who nags and checks yeah. in on everything. But it just comes at what if something's gone wrong? What if there's been a car accident? What if there's been something else that's happened and I'm not there is such an ongoing worry. And, you know, it is those things. I, I think people forget how long these kind of issues can last, especially with kids, because you have a kid and the worry with them doesn't really end. It just shifts to different things, right? Yeah. It's just. And that's, isn't that interesting? And we always say people, women always say, I said over and over, is it going to get easier? And we tell each other it is, but you know what? It's not, it just gets harder in different ways. And the thing that you're struggling with passes, which is great. So I, that's what I've turned turn to. I stopped telling women it'll get easier. I just start saying, you know what? This hard thing, it will pass. Yeah. That's it. And you know what? I don't say it, another hard thing won't come because you know what? It does. And that's motherhood, right? Is there, I mean, it's already exactly differentiate between normal anxiety and mom anxiety. And, um, and sometimes I think they go hand in hand and it's just louder for some people. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I just don't see how you could be a parent and not, you know, not have that anxiety as it goes sometimes, because that's just pretty normal. Yep. It's, it's very interesting. And um, there are a few, you know, there are a few women out there who seem to really get it. Like they know that, they, okay, Hannah, I see. they seem to really get it. Like things will be okay. And then there's yes. moms like me, who, you know, I'm like, is it going to be okay? Um, you know, you have the moms who, the, using the metaphor of the moms who, give birth and go home. And they've already emerged as the mama butterfly. Moms like me stay in the cocoon a really long time. And then I get out and the metaphor is I'm still stretching my wings, trying to figure it out. 
the wings are still, you know, when you see a butterfly, they come out and they keep moving their wings very slowly. And a lot of moms are like me. It takes us a while. Um, that's the whole point. We keep trying, we, you know, you, you get there and it's okay to miss yourself. And it's okay to grieve yourself. Um, I miss my old self. I think of her often. She would have scolded me for all this nonsense. She was quite confident. So, <laughs> so there, that's, that's kind of the story. So I did find therapy. I did find support. I built a team. Um, and then I still struggle sometimes. And then I get past something that I was having that was hard. And then I get on something else. And then we find wonderful people like you who help us with the next stuff. <laughs> well, thank you. That is it's I hope to help because I do know how hard it is to kind of go it alone, especially to go it alone in our society to go against the grain, as you said, of having yeah. everyone else doing different things. Um, just to switch gears a little bit here. So not to switch really, but to kind of take how did this experience that you had shift the work that you've now doing with your clients? I know because you're still seeing clients, it may not be as many as you were, mm -hmm. but are there treatments that you started incorporating or things you changed? What, how did it affect your professional life? Um, it, it, it affected it a lot. Um, the first thing I can say is I needed to get perinatal mental health training immediately so when I started talking to that lovely therapist, she told me about what the training she had, which was through Postpartum International. Um, and I signed on to get trained immediately, probably sooner than I should have, um, because I was triggered all over the place by their stories. And But at the same time, I was like healing myself and learning how to help others. <laughs> um, so that was it. The So that's the first thing that changed is I went and got trained um, in this particular field. The other realization was, and this, Okay, honey. Um, the other thing that's very interesting, um, and you had, I, okay, sorry, hold on now. The little one wants to choose her show, and we're going to let her choose it. <laughs> um, but what actually changed the most was I, the anxiety not only was for me, but how I treated my clients in the past. Um, I started thinking while I was doing these trainings or when I was talking to therapists myself, I started thinking, oh my gosh, did I say that to somebody? Did I say that to a mom in the past? Did I tell someone, it's okay, she'll be fine? Did I tell someone, just get self-care, it's fine? You know, and I started panicking, like, and I'd stay up at night thinking of the, the things that I might have told other mothers that might have not worked. I mean, there was a point where I almost wanted to text some, some of the women that came to my mind and said, sorry. So <laughs> um, what changed for me was when you get trained as a therapist, you know, you can, there, the world is so, there's so much research, there's so many things, um, but you know, you fall into the generic general stuff. So, you know, if you have a person who has a child who's having sleep issues, you, you can tell, send them to a sleep consult or you, you know, you tell them, you know, they'll work it out. They can cry a little, whatever. These are things that are okay when you're not a mom to say. <laughs> um, so those things came up for me, uh, you know, or this, this idea of self-care is such a trigger word for some moms with anxiety or postpartum because they, they can't do it. That's why they're upset. If they could work out, if they could go for a walk by themselves if they could enjoy themselves they wouldn't be sitting in your office so i started thinking about when when a therapist told me oh that's not okay like how many times do people say that to women so i shifted my entire thinking to i cannot say it's not okay because everything is happening for a reason and every woman and baby dyad 
or family dyad have their journeys and have their experiences. And I have to find out where they are at and what they are able to do. You cannot tell a woman to sleep train if that if the baby, first off, as we know, it's not, you know, it's not the best thing in a lot of ways, but okay for some people, I guess. But you can't tell that to someone whose head might explode if they hear their baby cry. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. That's a whole other layer that goes into it that I think we often ignore because, and that's, you know, it's a whole other topic of research that I do have to talk about one day, but it's that cry tolerance. Not everyone has a high cry tolerance. No. And you know, if it's going to really harm someone, that's not so yeah. you don't talk about how to get over your cry tolerance, yeah. because I've heard stories of women drinking wine in the shower while crying because they couldn't handle yes. the sound well, of the a, crying. I had a woman sit in her car um, at the dentist because she couldn't stand her kid crying. And she, you know, to think she had to separate herself and not be where she could give child safety. So there's so, so many things that we do, right? I mean, we say as therapists that that could potentially cause harm and we don't mean it. Again, we're humans. So I started thinking back. So now what's changed the most when you ask. Um, the first thing is when it comes to perinatal and, you know, other therapists may disagree. I, I do believe you should talk to you should talk to a provider who's been trained in perinatal mental health. Um, I also believe that it's much more helpful. It's not necessary, but much more helpful to talk to another mother. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and would and you I, think the same? I wasn't about, a mom, right? And I was doing all that therapy. <laughs> would you think it would be helpful, like, for fathers to talk mm -hmm. to a therapist who was a father and had been through it too? That helps a lot. It does help a lot. But men, men generally prefer to speak to women. So um, when it comes to therapy in general, when you when you look at staff and whatnot, um, not always. But so sometimes I would suggest that they talk to someone who's you know, who's experienced postpartum in her own family or someone who's treated it so they can understand how to work with the dads. So that's generally what changed for me and what shifted is I became really clear on looking at every mom and child as having their own journey and their own unique set of circumstances. The idea of saying that's not okay became not okay. Um, and, you know, why are you doing that? How does that help you? What's going on for you? Um, and this idea of self-care is a big one because that's what we, we, I mean, we really shove it down people's throats, don't we? Like you're not a good mom if you're not taking care of yourself. To me, self-care could possibly be three minutes longer in the shower. It could possibly be giving, like what I'm doing, giving your kid barbecue chips <laughs> and feeling bad about it later, but just so you can get through a phone call with a friend or whatever. Um, so, you know, actually meeting someone where they're at. So that's what shifted for me the most. And I do think there are amazing clinicians out there who may not have children on their own, but those ones went and got the training or have friends who knew or, or you know, experienced it in some way. So it's okay when you're looking for a therapist to try to um, find someone who fits you. And it's okay to know that sometimes you have to try a few. Exactly. Now, I want to say that I think you know, you in your experience obviously saw enough people who had perinatal mental health issues, but most people don't think about it when they get pregnant. It is not something to say, oh, gee, I wonder if I'm going to end up with depression or anxiety or OCD or psychosis or anything at any point along the way here. Yeah. And I think because of that, so many people underestimate what the rates actually are out there and in turn may not actually look out for it. So 
I mean, do you know the rates for women and men on these disorders? Like, what are we looking at? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we're looking at, so I want you to think about it like 15 to 20% of women will experience more significant symptoms of some kind of mental health issue. Um, 15 to 20% of women. Um, So another way to break it down is one in seven moms, but new research is saying it's one in six moms. And for dads, our dads out there, it's one in 10. Now, here's the interesting thing about dads. If if their partner had it, they're significantly more likely to have postpartum issues themselves. Um, So they're one, I mean, one in six for women, one in 10 for men, Um, we should say dads. So it's kind of more than we think. And we're looking at people of every age, every income level, every race, every culture can develop this perinatal mood disorder. It can happen in pregnancy or... And I know, I know we talked about it. When does it happen? Um, or we were going to talk about it within the first year. So people are thinking like, oh, I'm fine. The first three months passed. It's within the first year. That's so, so key to point out. Because I remember having friends who struggled, were great for six months. And yep. then suddenly it hit. And it took ages to get on their radar because the link to the pregnancy, the link to, you know, this perinatal element was not there. Everyone was looking for something else because, oh, by six months, you're not going to have any problems anymore. And yet clearly that's not the case. And you know, what's interesting is the last screening for postpartum in an OB gynecologist's office is at six weeks. That's the last time they ask you about it. Six weeks. That's That's it. And this is what postpartum international, a lot of researchers are trying to change. Um, that's the last time they ask a mom about it. The screening stops unless something obvious happens where she, you know, she, she goes in for help herself. Um, I'm seeing most women, like you said, after six months, sometimes after four months, after the shock of having a new baby, you know what I mean? Or that point to me where I see a lot of the anxiety show up or a lot of the bipolar stuff or depression show up is when they have to make that decision of it's time to go back to work. Then you see all this stuff show up that might not have been there before. So it says for the diagnosis, symptoms can appear anytime during pregnancy and the first six, 12 months after childbirth. But in truth, I believe it can be beyond, be beyond that. And I've seen it spotted when someone's child is two. And then you talk to them and go backwards and you're like, oh, somebody missed this. So it's, it's you know, it's out there and people aren't paying attention and people aren't asking the right questions. Um, you can start looking at these things, you know, and, and looking at your friends and looking at yourself and thinking, oh, man, I might have had something. Okay. I was wondering with that, what you said there with respect to going back to work. And I know you're in the States where you guys have some rather abysmal leaves that come up um yeah (laughs) even at the best of times people who get three months are considered lucky do you think cross-culturally then places who have a longer leave either get lower rates of it because kids are older or these issues may just kind of shift to a later time point um i i think it might it might shift i don't really know and i hate to put a stat on it i i do believe that what we'll see is symptoms coming for different reasons in different ways. Um, and every, like I said, everybody's got their journey. But I do think that the stress of having to figure out what to do with your child so early and just trying to figure out who you are as a mom, your wings are still flexing. 
you haven't even flown yet and you're like, okay, you had to make a decision. Are you going back to work or what? And who's going to watch your kid? And, you know, I couldn't make that choice so early. You know, I just couldn't. I was like, and I interviewed three nannies and they were lovely. And I just kept thinking, gosh, this just doesn't feel right. And I would, I would just start panicking. And that's when that lovely therapist said, well, can you make it so you don't have to go? Now I was lucky in that I could, but a lot of moms can't. And then what does that do for them? You know, um, that's and, true. And that's the thing, you know, you work with these moms. Interestingly, you have a lot of moms be able to shut it all out because they have to suck it up and they have to, you know, go to work. And then, so sometimes that, that away from baby time potentially could make things better or worse. So it just depends on the woman and what's happening. Um, I had some women who, you know, they went back to work, they got their time, they could use the bathroom on their own. They, they found a little bit of who they used to be and they got better. And I had other women who got panicked and couldn't, couldn't work and couldn't think about what was happening with their baby. And, you know, was their husband okay? And, you know, was he managing? <laughs> and then they end up not, you know, they end up quitting or moving on. So everybody's journey is different. Um, and it's all okay. <laughs> exactly. Now, just for people to know, are there, <laughs> are there certain predicting factors or protective yeah. factors that people can be aware or that they might have some control over too, I guess? Let me do a little bit of risk factors and then I'll go into protective factors. What do you think? Okay. Sounds good. So we'll do a little bit of risk factors because they have them. So just for, I'm only doing depression and anxiety. If you want more information in general, you can go on Postpartum International and they have resources and they have, I think it's Postpartum um, dot net. But you look at postpartum international, they have all these stats and whatnot. They're wonderful things and they're very up to date. Um, but the risk factors to pay attention to is if you've had a personal history of depression, anxiety, or any other mental illness, um, people who have premenstrual dysphoric disorder, inadequate support for the baby, financial stress, marital stress, sounds like everybody now, <laughs> complications in a pregnancy. Um, complications with breastfeeding, complications with your birth, your birth didn't go the way you wanted, a major recent loss, a major recent life event, are you moving, did you change jobs, did you lose your job, mothers of multiples, people who have children in the um, NICU unit, women who have had infertility treatment, hormone issues, diabetes, thyroid, these are all risk factors. And then there's also um, for anxiety, you also have to include if you've had a history of OCD, panic, um, past miscarriages, things like that. So I want people to pay attention to the risk factors because everybody thinks it's, oh, that woman had postpartum, you know, like she's some weird person, but it's, look, it could do anything. In my pregnancy, um, I was told that my dad uh, had a few months to live. That didn't help. Um, so there, you know, there's things that happen along the way. I, I'm working with someone who, whose dad passed away um, and her, she's about six months pregnant. So, you know, there's this, this, this stuff that happens. Life changes, right? It increases the idea that life is fragile. So I want people to understand and financial stress messes people up. So <laughs> there's so many risk factors. So that's the risk factors. Um, and there are more, but that's the general idea. Now, protective factors, my dear, which is a lovely question. Um, the protective factors are generally that you need, a, you need to, you know, you said something amazing. You said they screened me because I had a history of postpartum. 
sometimes nobody's going to train you. You need to be the one to do it yourself. So if you have a history of any of the things or some of the things I'm saying comes into play or you're pregnant or you have a baby and you just don't feel right, the protective factor is to speak up and get help and create a team for yourself. And you have to understand that you have to have people who you trust on your team. And the biggest advice I can give for people is to know that people they trusted on their team pre-pregnancy or pre-birth may not be the same people on their team after. Friends change. People change. See, that's so interesting because I was just about to ask, would it make sense for people to set up a team ahead of time, kind of like insurance, yeah. so that the ability to, to speak up later when it's harder You've already got some stuff in place, but it sounds like that may also not work if the team you pick isn't based on the right factors. So I think the idea is to have a team for you at all times and know that it's going to be it's going to be a loose team. New people are coming in and new people are going out and to be OK with that. Um, it's like what we tell women on their birth plan, like have a birth plan. But if it doesn't work, it's OK. But to have a team for you, because the pregnancy team might not look the same as the postpartum team, you know, and to know that you got to find people you trust. You know, the doctor you chose when you were pregnant may not be the one you fit with after you have a baby. And he's looking at you like you're crazy when you decided to extend breastfeed. Like that might not be your doctor. Um, so that's, that's the thing, what I mean. So, um, and friends who you've had friends with for years might be like, what's the matter with you? Just let your kid cry it out. All of a sudden that friend might still be a friend, but not, not your team. <laughs> so this right. idea... Yeah, this idea. So that's the biggest protective factor. And to just be open to help. People are so afraid of getting help. I mean, I'm a pretty easy person to talk to for the most part. So are you. People can reach out, <laughs> you know, and you can. And social media, like I said, it's dangerous. But sometimes you find a group. And I did. I found some women who were very helpful. And I found lifelong friends. And I found someone who had the same daughter. A baby had the same birth date as my child. And she and I are, are friends. And it's wonderful. So that's what I, protective factors are speaking out, being honest, creating a team and being open. It might not be a regular doctor who works for you. It might be a postpartum doula. It might be a naturopath and keep looking. And if you get stuck, ask people. Um, so that's the idea. Um, the other protective factor is, like I said, going into it, knowing you might not, you know, you have this baby, you're going to be different and being okay with that. Yeah, that's so true. That's because it is I think that coping with the change to yourself is one of the biggest things as well, that can go there because it is, it's a metamorphosis, and it can take time. And it's okay. I think it's, it's important to also say that it's okay not to be okay with that change for a while. You're allowed to have your growing pains into a new you. Yes. And I think that's the thing. So that's the biggest thing for me. Um, if you have a partner, you have to understand that you are not just you and your partner anymore. And it's lovely to want to maintain that. People want to maintain that. But you have to understand that it's you, your partner, and the baby. It's a new team that has formed. And something beautiful will come of it. But you have to start talking to each other about how you both won't be the same and it's okay. The beauty of life is we're never the same. We're evolving and changing. You will never be married to the person that you've married, so to speak, the one who was standing there at the altar. As time goes on, we evolve and you'll see, you'll be married to him as a dad or you know, your partner as a dad or your partner who lost a job or your partner as a retiree. We're changing. 
So I just want to invite people to know that you have to be aware of the change and people don't talk about it enough. That's really good. And just on that similar kind of topic here, Mm -hmm. because I think so much of what I hope people can get from this are really kind of concrete points they can take to their lives, especially if they think they might be struggling and they're not quite sure, is something you touched on earlier, which is how do you tell the difference between that kind of typical difficult adjustment to parenting, especially as we talked about in a society where we're expected to go back to work early, where there's very little support, all this stuff happens. How do we differentiate that from something more clinical? So just just using um, diagnosis as a factor, we look at, it's funny, we look at six weeks, if you are, it's pretty normal. It says, you know, the, the actual stat is, Um, 80% of moms experience mood swings and weepiness during the first two to six weeks after giving birth. So the first two to six weeks, you feel a little bit junk or yucky or not yourself or you're adjusting. Um, But here's, and they call it baby blues. Um, But here's an interesting thing. The predominant emotion, even when there's a struggle, is happy. When you're finding that you're not doing well after about six weeks, you'll see that the predominant emotion is not happiness. It's the other thing. So that's a way to think about it is, yeah, I might be struggling, but I'm still so thrilled. Um, I'm weeping. I'm having a hard time breastfeeding, but I'm still so thrilled. And then, you know what I mean? Versus someone who might be struggling, who's, you know, I am not thrilled. I don't know if I want to be a mom. I don't know if I'm good at this. Something doesn't feel right. I don't feel like me. And that feeling of, I don't feel like me and this instinct of something off and your partner noticing, gosh, something's not quite right. I have a lot of that. My husband made me call. I don't, something's different. My partner made me call, you know, she thinks I'm I'm different. There's all these things that happen um, that 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 show it. So I, that's kind of the thing. So I give people two to six weeks to sort of adjust and feel how they're feeling, and and that's the funny thing, right? That's the mark. They check you at six weeks, and <laughs> they're like, okay, you're all right. But that's actually just just to check if you had baby blues, really. Um, and that's just the beginning. Like that's when we should start the checking and then yeah. going up to the year. I love that you point out that that the partners had people call because, you know, that kind of hints at this, what can you do? What do you tell is the difference is it may not be you noticing it. It may be others. And therefore, you know, for people listening who may not be the ones that are pregnant or a new parent, you may need to be on the lookout for other people as well, because it may be you that gives them the push to be able to get the help that they need by saying, hey, you know what? You don't seem like yourself lately. You seem different. Are you, how are you feeling? What's going on for you? Right? Yeah, it's true. And I think the hard part is how do we approach it, right? Because it's okay, honey. People are so nervous. Okay, people are so nervous about bringing it postpartum, and people are so nervous about saying those things. The best way to say it is you don't seem, you don't seem like you're, you know, or, you know, is everything okay? And they say, yeah, like, you know, just, you know, it's okay. Okay, honey, it's okay if people struggle. It's okay if they're having a hard time. I know someone, nicest thing to say is I know someone who's, you're okay, my love, sorry about that. <laughs> you, you know, I know someone who struggled. Um, and, and here's, you know, here's some links or here's some help, or do you want to talk about it? It's okay. And I think that's the thing is this idea of it's okay. Everything's so whispery, you know, when, when I wasn't doing well, it's like, do you think she has postpartum? (laughs) Well, you know, 
<laughs> Sorry. I would say that goes with the stigma of mental health issues more generally. We still live in a world where, you know, we're not supposed to talk about the depression or the anxiety or whatever else we have going on. We're supposed to just laugh about it. We make jokes about it, but we don't actually acknowledge what's there. Yeah. And there's, there's a, there's a lot of hidden pain, um, lots and lots of hidden pain. And, you know, it's just now becoming okay on social media to say things like, I, I love my, my child, but I don't like being a parent. And you know what? That's okay. Because I like my child. I love her with all my heart. I gave up so much of everything for her, you know, but I don't love being a parent. I don't like stressing about what she's going to eat and her being a picky eater and her not sleeping. And people need to be okay with saying that. Like, it's, it's okay. And it's not a judgment of your parenting either. This is something no. that is just a very normal state. I had a friend actually message me the other day asking, you know, is it normal that I love my kid, but sometimes I hate being a parent? Yeah. And I was like, of course. She's like, why does no one say this? Because it would be really nice to not feel like I'm alone in feeling this way. And I was like, well, you're not. Absolutely not. Yeah. It is a very common experience. So just because I know we're getting up to the hour here and your daughter has been so very patient with us here, <laughs> but uh, I just have two more questions for you sure. if I could get through. But the first one is, I know, you know, we talk about treatment, your job, everything. Treatment's not always feasible for people. Sometimes it's a lack of funds. Sometimes it's a lack of access to people. What are things that people can do if getting in-person treatment isn't an option for them? The first step is... Um... First off, build your team, right? So you, you want to have a team if you can. Um, and you want to if you don't know what to do, you can talk to your doctor. You can talk, you can Google postpartum doulas, naturopaths, acupuncturists, friends, look for people who have gone through it. Um, and, you know, some of those things do take money, like you said. But postpartum international, I, I do love them. I think they're amazing. Um, they not only offer the training, but what they do is they have support groups for women and men. Um, they have they have different kinds. They're they're free to attend. They're led by a therapist. They have so they have support groups that are free. You can also call their hotline and they will help you find someone. There's also a ton of therapists out there who will do sliding scale work. So you know if you want the help, you can find it. And if you find that you can't find it, keep looking. And I have a lot of people emailing me because they just need help finding. I'll help. You know, <laughs> people help and. There, you know, there's people out there just looking for help. So Postpartum International is a good place to start because they have all those free support groups. They have free chat rooms. Um, and then I know Facebook has a bunch of support. But again, you have to be careful and, you know, read before you, you log on. Make sure it's, it's a good crew to talk to. Um, so, yeah. And I know that the Postpartum International people have um, LGBTQ groups and dad groups and mom groups. So it's wonderful. <laughs> That's so good. I love that they have all that there. And I, you know, I'll also add, cause it sounds like you too do stuff over the phone now from home. And so, I mean, perhaps COVID has opened up a bit more as well as to what we might be able to get too. Yes. And that's what's so cool is you can, before you had to go and to see, it's okay, to see a therapist, you have to, <laughs> she's like, oh, come on, mom. Here, come on, go this way. Um, you had to go into an office and now you can, you know, do telehealth, you can do teletherapy. Some of them are cash paid, but there's sliding scales all over the place. And there's 
again, you know, these, these perinatal mental health providers who are out there just trying to help women find out how to get help. So um, you can. So I do see people by the phone. You can do telehealth therapy, you know, and that's easier for a lot of guys, too. They don't want to go in, and sometimes you can get them on the phone. <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, that's how it there, – there is help out there. Oh, that's so good. Thank you so much. So, I mean, this has been eye-opening and so helpful. And I hope for all the people listening, if you are struggling or you know someone who is struggling, you know, check out these resources. Check out Annie's page. That's going to be in the show notes. You can, there's so much that you can do. Please don't feel like you're alone and please don't feel like there's nothing. Um, now, before we go, Annie, do you have the time to tell us about your books? Sure. Um, so basically, in the in the midst of hold on, sweetie, in the, maybe I don't have time. <laughs> um, in the midst of in the midst of my my own postpartum, all I kept thinking about was I have to I have to find a way. You know, I have to find a way to help women like me. There was nothing out there, and what I noticed the most was okay, little one. What I mo what I noticed the most was um, the books out there. We're like, I love my baby so much. This is the most amazing experience. It is wonderful. Life is wonderful. And I couldn't relate to it. So I, so I created a book um, called A Promise, A Vow of Love for, ba for Baby and a Message of Hope for Mom in, in a voice of what I really would have needed at that time, you know, in the beginning stages of being a mom, even later. And that book is there to help. I really think it would be great for any new mom or any mom who's just struggling or, re, you know, just needing to know that they are a butterfly and the journey's different. Um, and so I created it. It's got illustrations of me and my, you know, me and my daughter. And, um, and at the bottom of it, it's prompts that shows how you can cope or things you can tell yourself or some imagery and things that I really wish I had during the hardest times to help you not feel so isolated and alone. So that's book one. Um, and the other book I wrote a little bit ago, I actually wrote it after my miscarriage. It's called How to Find the Warm and Fuzzies. Um, and I wrote that after my miscarriage, kind of the, it was to heal, you know, the family I thought I'd have, um, helping children cope, cope with stress and how to, how to help them feel better. So those are my two books. I have some self-help programs as well on my website um, that are great for couples or someone who wants to date again or parents, mindful parenting. So I did quite a bit during her nap times. <laughs> Which is good. And you know what? I just, I love that you did write. I love when I hear stories of people who have written the stuff they didn't have, because I think yeah. that's where so much of the brilliance comes out is when we find ourselves somewhere and say, this, where is this? What is, this isn't here. There's nothing about X, Y, or Z. And frankly, there should be because we're motivated to provide it in a way yeah. that others aren't. It's my dream to have my book, like, somehow given out to moms, you know, as soon as they give birth, because that's when they're going to need it. They're going to need, you know, that feeling like, gosh, this doesn't feel perfect. Is that okay? And for that book to, you know, tell the story of a mom talking. So it's in the voice of a mom reading to her baby saying, hey, we'll figure it out. I'm like a butterfly, you know, and, and you know, it's this sweet, sweet metaphor. So it really came out of love. And I, I donated a lot. And I just want it to get some moms who need it. <laughs> Because there are moms who need it. <laughs> there are a lot of moms who need it because I've read it and I love it. So, oh, thank you so I much. think it is such a brilliant book. So again, that link is in the show notes. So you can check it out. If you know someone who's expecting, pop it in for the baby shower. That might <laughs> be, you. you know, it might not be quite realized at the beginning. 
but uh, it's definitely can be thereafter. So Annie, thank you so much. And thank you to your daughter for her patience yeah, and you. eating all the chips in the world to let us get <laughs> through this. Uh, it has been so lovely to talk to you and I am so thankful for you to take your time today to share with everyone because it is such an important topic. Thank you. It was an honor. It's truly an honor. And I hope that anyone out there who hears this reaches out for help if they need it. Thank you so much for listening. That's it for this week. If you or anyone you know seems to be struggling, please reach out and help them with the resources in the show notes. Now join me next week as I welcome Dr. Kathy Kendall Tackett, the leader in the field of studying birth trauma. Too many individuals, birthing individuals and those who support them, can face trauma in what should be a safe space, and this can have some long-term consequences. So join me for an incredibly important discussion. In the meantime, stay safe and happy parenting.